It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We know addiction has taken a toll on many American households uh, young, old, rich, poor, people of all races struggle with opioids and other drugs. And while the problem might be a national and even an international issue, a new report says the solution is likely to be found local. Charles Fain Lehman uh, from uh, Manhattan Institute, where he works at, uh, work, excuse me, works on uh, policing and public safety initiatives. Uh, he's also a contributing editor of City Journal. And uh, Charles, we appreciate you joining us today. And the Manhattan Institute has put out a new report uh, how local leaders can combat the urban drug crisis. Uh, give us some perspective there. Yeah, absolutely, and thank you for having me on. You know, look, the the Fessman report, ultimately the drug crisis, it's a major problem. It hasn't gone away. You know, we talk about public health crises. COVID has really grabbed the headlines, understandably, but last year more than 100,000 people died of drug overdoses. 2020, more than 100,000, close to 100,000 people died of drug overdoses. There's no sign of that slowing. And so, you know, the, the problem has not gone away. It's gotten worse over the past several years. Um, I think that, you know, this is a, this is an all levels of government problem. The federal government, state governments, uh, even international coordination is really important here. But part of the goal of the brief was to talk about some strategies that local government, that mayors, local judges, police chiefs can use to push back, uh, can use to combat the flow of drugs, to help people get treatment, to help give people what they need to uh, avoid drug their death and all the harms of drug use, um, and to give them some context, what works, what doesn't, what do we know, what does the evidence say, uh, what's, what passes a cost-benefit test, what doesn't. Yeah, and I think that's such an important point. And what is that uh, the cost benefit test, and what is really producing the right kind of outcomes uh, in terms of changing the game as it relates, to, especially to the opioid crisis? So let's go through some of those that you came out with uh, in your study there at the Manhattan Institute. Uh, I know one of the things uh, that we've done a lot here in the state of Utah is around naloxone, having that access and distribution. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and you know, for your for your listeners who don't still know. Uh, naloxone, sometimes called Narcan, is an overdose-reversing drug specifically for opioid overdose. Uh, if you've gotten if you've gotten too high, um, it can it can uh, basically it, uh, it 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 knocks the heroin and fentanyl off of the relevant receptors, uh, brings you up out of that very rapidly. Um, and you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was very hard to get naloxone, and now increasingly, uh, you can get naloxone in some places over the counter. First responders carry it. And I go look at the evidence and I say, it's, it seems like, A, it seems like we know in the individual case it's a very effective way to prevent the immediate risk of death. If you look at the evidence on balance, it seems like it has, you know, creating greater access to naloxone, has benefits in terms of the number of lives saved. It's a little bit hard to discern the effect, but it's almost certainly there. Um, and, you know, I think one of the values of naloxone is, you know, it's, it's expensive, but 
uh, it's pretty cheap relative to the cost of life, you know, the value of the life saved. Uh, so I think that one very simple step is jurisdictions that are not prioritizing giving their first responders, even giving municipal employees, giving people on the street access to naloxone relatively easily, uh, that, that, that is a cost-effective way they can increase the chance of somebody saving a life. All right. And let's uh, continue on uh, looking at some of the uh, treatment capacity is another one that uh, is clearly a big one, especially that that gap, uh, I think, is uh, a real yes. challenge for many, some who may may not want the treatment just yet or some who can't afford uh, an inpatient treatment. So what are some of the things in terms of that gap that we should be thinking about, again, on that local level? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I talk about a bunch of different things. One is just simply in terms of building out treatment capacity, uh, the number of beds. Local government is uh, the biggest public funder of treatment. I mean, it's not it's not states, it's not feds. Local government spends the most amount of money. Um, and I think, you know, that, that, that reflects their proximity to the issue. Uh, they can spend more there. That's, you know, there are, there are real returns. There are benefits to treatment. Um, they also are the, you know, they're, they're overseeing the places where, where people are most likely to potentially get access to treatment or be able to be connected to treatment. Um, people can be connected to treatment in jail and the court system. Uh, I talk about I talk about drug courts as an effective tool for getting people to reduce their risk of future OD, um, future recidiv- future drug recidivism. Uh, and you know, I think I think that there's there's just in general. Uh, understanding that city local government is is the touch point for so many citizens, you know, the federal government sometimes from a vote, and because that is true, uh, local government has sort of key role to play in saying here are these are there opportunities to connect citizens who may need treatment to treatment because there are many who, by all accounts, do need it and either aren't able to get it or aren't yet willing to get it and maybe need that extra push to get there. All right. And then uh, let's, let's jump uh, just in our uh, closing couple of minutes here in terms of what are some of the things in this conversation uh, that you think we're just missing? What are some of those things that are just flying under the radar that uh, could really have an impact uh, in terms of the, the overdose problem in particular yeah. and opioids specifically? Absolutely. I talk a little bit in the report about what's called wastewater tracking, um, where what you can do is you can look for the, the frequency of the metabolized drugs in municipal wastewater. It's really cheap. It's an effective way to tell you what people are using. If you have multiple wastewater sites, you can get a sense of where people are using, where the problem is concentrated. A lot of cities built up wastewater tracking capacity to track the level of COVID in their jurisdiction. Right. Pretty easy to adapt there to tracking drugs. The other one that I talk about that I think you'll know about is something called the Drug Market Initiative. It's sort of a, a concentrated bus run by police officers. You look at, you, you identify an area that's a drug market. This exists in many cities. And you draw up indictments for everybody involved, and you bring the guys in, and you say, look, either you're going to stop dealing drugs, you're going to turn your life around, we'll help you do that, or you're going to go to prison. We've got the indictment ready to go. Um, and these have been shown, in, you know, you got to do it right, mm-hmm. but cases where they've gone right, they've been shown to reduce both drug drug use rates and violent crime in the areas where they're implemented durably, even after the operation's over. Wow, that uh, that that's one uh, that I I think is worth uh, pursuing in, in a new way, and again, one that's uh, not a lot of folks are are talking about. Uh, such such an important thing. Uh, Charles Fain uh, Lehman, fellow at the Manhattan Institute, where he works on policing and public safety initiatives, also the contributing editor. Uh, of City Journal. Charles, thanks so much for providing this uh, real priceless stuff uh, and a crucial conversation, one that's uncomfortable for a lot of folks, but it's an uncomfortable conversation uh, we've just got to get comfortable with. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yep, absolutely. All right, again, that's Charles Fain Lehman uh, from the Manhattan Institute. And 
uh, some really interesting things there. A few things that I, uh, we haven't talked about or haven't done here in the state of Utah or in Salt Lake City in particular. Uh, we have talked a lot about uh, naloxone, some of those kinds of things. The treatment gap is clearly an issue uh, to be sure. Wastewater tracking, I think, is a very interesting one. A lot of municipalities are using that wastewater tracking for COVID and to be able to uh, do that to check out what's happening in terms of drug use, where it's coming from, what kinds of drugs are being used. Uh, that's a really interesting uh, one to to look at. And then that kind of that high uh, concentration target of active drug sales, I think, is also just a really interesting one to, to take a look at. Uh, so all of that part of a cru- crucial conversation. And uh, we know that there are very few people uh, out there who have not been impacted in one way or another uh, themselves or a loved one, a friend, a neighbor uh, who's been impacted by the opioid crisis. And uh, I thought one of the things that Charles pointed out that was really crucial is that, you know, we've talked a lot about COVID. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, all of the impact that that has had. And we still have to continue this conversation around opioids. Uh, again, over 100,000 Americans are dying every year of drug overdoses. Uh, and that is a uh, an extraordinary death rate. And it exceeds usually homicides, suicides, and car accidents. And so this is a conversation we have to get to. We've got to get to better solutions and a different approach. And it's all part of that crucial conversation. All right, we're going to step aside. Quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by one of my great and favorite thinkers, Megan McCardle. She's going to talk to us about you either have principles or you don't. What are we applying that to? Stick around. We'll talk about it coming up next. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 